The following podcast is banned in the state of Florida for talking about a dangerous leftist book, the Bible. Like the Bible, this podcast contains frank discussions on sensitive topics, including sex, violence, and cursing. Please proceed with caution. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. This is the word in black and red. And welcome to The Word in Black and Red, where we read the Bible from a leftist and liberationist perspective to elucidate the way people of faith and their comrades can understand the Bible as a source of healing, love, and liberation for all people. I am your host, Michael Belong, the wise old Lama MB, joined today by the wonderful Pastor Sarah and Rabbi Noyo, who is also Sarah. So, it's a Sarah-filled episode today, <laughs> where we are talking about the death and burial of the biblical Sarah. We're going to go ahead and dive on into that text in Genesis 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. This was how long she lived. She died in Kiryat Arba, that is, in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham cried out of grief and wept for Sarah. After he got up from embracing his deceased wife, he spoke with the Hittites, I am an immigrant and a temporary resident with you. Give me some property for a burial plot among you, so that I can bury my deceased wife near me. The Hittites responded to Abraham, Listen to us, sir. You are an eminent man of God among us. Bury your dead in one of our own select burial sites. None of us will keep our own burial plots from you to bury your dead. Abraham rose, bowed to the local citizens, the Hittites, and spoke with them. If you yourselves allow me to bury my dead near me, listen to me and ask Ephron, Zohar's son, to give me his own cave at Machpelah, at the edge of his field. Let him give it to me for the full price, to be witnessed by you as my own burial property. Now Ephraim was a native Hittite. So Ephraim the Hittite responded to Abraham publicly, so that the Hittites and everyone at his city's gate could hear, No, sir, listen, I will give you the field, and I will give you the cave in it. In front of my people's witnesses, I will give it to you. Bury your dead. Abraham bowed before the local citizens and spoke to Ephron publicly in the presence of the local citizens. If only you would accept my offer, I will give you the price of the field. Take it from me so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron responded to Abraham, Sir, what is four hundred shekels of silver between me and you for the land so that you can bury your dead? Abraham accepted Ephraim's offer, and weighed out the Ephraim the silver he requested publicly before the Hittites, four hundred shekels of silver, at the current rate of exchange. So the field of Ephraim at Machpelah, near Mamre, the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the field's boundaries, was officially transferred to Abraham as his property in the presence of the Hittites and of everyone at his city's gate. After this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave the field of Machpelah near Mamre, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The fields and the cave in it were officially transferred from the Hittites to Abraham as his burial property. This little play act that we have going on here is is a story that doesn't seem like it would necessarily fit into the Bible, <laughs> but it still has something to teach us about a culture that is very different from our own that can help us inform the way that we ought to be acting um, with other folks. But I'm just interested in, in y'all's takes on this strange story to try and contextualize it for us. Well, it's interesting you say you're not sure 
that it has a place in the story necessarily, because the folks who put together the Revised Common Lectionary did not think it did. If you go to a church that uses a Revised Common Lectionary, you will never hear this story read in church. (laughs) So you're hearing never before heard story on this podcast. If you're mainline Protestant. (laughs) Rabbi Noyo, of course, y'all do read the story in the Jewish tradition. How do y'all understand this story and how do you relate this when you are preaching on this to make this strange story come alive for your folks? Well, it's funny that you asked me that specifically because I have never written a sermon on this particular scene. (laughs) But your question is really, how would I take this story and turn it into a teaching? And there, there is a lot in here, like what jumps out at me when it comes to this dialogue, something that could be useful to modern people is their communication style with each other, Ephron and Abraham. There's some discussion from scholars and rabbis about whether this was a real negotiation or not. Was Ephron saying like, no, please just take the land because this kind of like exaggerated generosity is just like part of the process. He's not actually expected to give it for free. And Abraham is not expected to accept it for free. It's just, this is how you have an exchange where you show respect for each other. Please know I want to gift it to you. Please know, take my money. Right. Like, oh, let me do pay for the check. No, I got it. Oh no, you really don't have to. And then you all, you already know from the beginning who's going to take the bill. Exactly. So that, I think, is probably what most scholars and historians of the Bible would, I think that they would probably mostly agree that that's what's going on, as opposed to this is actually a negotiation. However, as is my style, I will sometimes say, well, I'm going to go with the road less traveled because it's more interesting and say, maybe Ephron was actually trying to give this man who was grieving his wife a free place to bury his beloved because Ephron is just that nice. And Abraham was refusing because of something deeper. Um, And that is probably what I would delve into in a sermon is why was it so important to Abraham that he pay for this land? And I think that what would come out of that is, you know, talking about things like shame over not being able to do things yourself, over not being independent of accepting help, of living in poverty. What does it mean to do something for yourself? I remember growing up, my parents and other adults would often say things like, you know, if you save your own allowance and buy that thing with your own money, it will mean more to you and you'll take better care of it. That maybe there's a little of that going on. That's the kind of modern stuff that absolutely exists and applies today that I can see under the text. Yeah, I totally resonate with that, too. Having we just started hosting people who are also immigrants, right? Abraham starts out by saying, I'm I'm not from around here. You know, y'all have been already, you know, really generous to me. But to give Abraham options, right? When people have been traumatized and they feel powerless, one of the things that can really help people heal is for them to have agency and to have options. And so in a way, I wonder if if letting Abraham pay is also a gift in and of itself. Because Abraham, even though it sounds like he has plenty of wealth, you know, being a stranger among you, he says, right, that that 
definitely creates a sense of powerlessness. And I, I think, yeah, if I were going to preach this, I'd probably go in a similar direction, but also talk about the the current experience of people who are migrants in our country and, and how they're exploited. And here's an example of someone saying, I'm going to give you options. In addition to generosity, you're not just someone who's like, I'm taking pity on, you're someone I respect. Well, unlike this story stands in such stark contrast to just a couple of uh, chapters earlier where we see Sodom being talked about, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, these places that it was so dangerous to that Lot sat on the outside of the city to warn outsiders not to come in, right? And where, you know, there are all of these stories about about outsiders being starved outside the gates and then the people being going and taking all of their things, right? And so, like, it's not just a you're going to be oppressed if you come here. And the only reason we let Lot come here is because he was wealthy. It's this additional, like, not only are you going to be uh, oppressed here, we're going to leave you with no dignity. Like, we're not even going to give you a proper burial. We're going to go out and steal all of your things. Versus in this chapter where we see just the opposite happening, right? There is this profound respect. There's this profound dignity that are given to all people, even the outsider, even the foreigner who is among them. And another interesting layer, this outsider has in fact been promised that entire land by God already. We're in the land of Canaan, Canaan, which is the land, take yourself, go to the land that I will show you. (laughs) Like leave your father's home, the land you were born and go there. And that land will be yours. Well, here he is. He's in that land and he has to pay for it. So it's just another interesting layer. It makes the, the rabbis wonder, was Abraham at any point questioning God? Like, I thought that this was going to be my land. Why do I have to pay for it if it was going to just be given to me by God, God's self? But maybe there was something else at play, you know, like as Pastor Sarah was saying, that maybe the payment actually did more for him than the gift of land would have. And he did experience a lot of trauma recently, not only the death of his wife, but he also had just come off the mountain of near where he nearly sacrificed his beloved Isaac, who is now not talking to him because of that. Right. So he's dealing with that estrangement and that panic of, oh my gosh, is this really the God that I worship who wants me to kill my own child, the child that was born in this miraculous way when I was super old and And this whole episode may have, in fact, caused the death of his wife. There's Midrash, Jewish fanfic, filling in the gaps because you have Abraham nearly sacrificing Isaac on a mountain. And then it says it came down the mountain. Isaac went this way. Abraham went that way. Next chapter, Sarah's dead. (laughs) Like it opens with she lived to be 127 years old and Abraham now needs to bury her. So like what happened in between there? And so there's Midrash stories that speculate and that fun angel that isn't very nice, Satan, the adversary, plays a part in some of these stories, including where Satan shows up at Sarah's residence disguised as Isaac to say, my father is about to sacrifice me. And if he hadn't been stopped with his hand and the knife in the air, I would be dead right now. 
and the shock killed her. There's another Midrash in which Isaac is talking to Abraham and he says, maybe while he's on the altar, maybe afterwards, he says, dad, don't tell mom about this because she might be on the roof while you tell her and it will make her faint and she will fall to her death. So whether she falls to her death because she hears it straight from her husband or because she gets an account from Satan and then the text says her soul flew out of her, maybe just fancy biblical ways of saying she had a heart attack or died of a broken heart even. I want to know what she's doing on a roof at 127. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when when your husband and your son are out, somebody's got to fix the leak. I'm also curious about um, the relationship with the Hittites because this comes up over and over and over again. And here the Hittites are seen as like incredibly magnanimous people. And then a couple chapters later, you have Esau's Right, he marries Judith and another woman who are the source of grief, Isaac and Rebecca, and they are Hittites. Here in this story, we have Abraham and Ephraim, the the Hittite, who are working out in delicate balance of respect and mutuality to say, you have something that I need, can I have it? I will pay you a fair wage for it, and that story going on, and there it seems like they're being treated as equals. Abraham has a disadvantage in that society, and so he's he's being elevated up to respected member of our community, and Ephraim is not, like, losing face by doing that, right? Sarah is the victim of this oppressive structure and order that says you are only valuable if you contribute a child to your marriage, And so she goes about any way she can to bring Hagar in, to convince Hagar to marry her gross old man husband. And (laughs) yeah, marry in quotation marks, right? And then they have a kid and Sarah realizes this is not what I wanted. Like instead of saying, okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to find a way to love each other becomes an abusive, I am getting rid of you. You are the immigrant in this situation. I'm getting rid of you and get out of here. Again, in contrast to this story where Sarah is invited into this land where she is the outsider, because that's a that's a sign of the way that the people of God ought to be rather than the people the way that the people of God God have been. I, I hadn't made that connection. Isaac is born, Ishmael gets sent away. Ishmael is basically sent off to die in the desert, right? It's only because God intervenes that Hagar and Ishmael survive. And then it's like, oh, so you were willing to sacrifice one of your kids? Are you willing to sacrifice this kid too? And then when that sacrifice is being offered up, even though that sacrifice isn't actually made, Sarah dies out of grief, right? Because she's being put to the same test that she just made someone else undergo. Wow. I, I'm i surprised I've never heard that before. I'd never made that connection. That's powerful. Have you seen The Handmaid's Tale, the TV show? I haven't seen the latest season. The main character is the handmaid for this rich couple, and the woman of the house. I I kept thinking of this woman and how painful it was to even see the protagonist, this woman who can get pregnant and I am allowing my husband to have sex with her, which is supposed to be an intimate and sacred act for me and my husband. And here's this other woman who has the ability to have children, which I desperately want. So she gets the children. She gets the pleasure with my husband, like to say nothing of the fact that it's not pleasurable for the main character, but like from the perspective of this wife that like this handmaid, this person who is literally a sex slave, 
still gets all these things that she wants and it's not fair. And so even seeing her face infuriates her and and she abuses her. It's not hard for me to understand that like Sarah wants to banish this woman and her child because that is everything she wants and she can't have. And it is so painful. The first time, I mean, the first time. But she can, she has a child. Like the second time she bandages, the second time she has what God has promised. It's just a reminder of... For sure, it's a reminder. And I'm sure it's reinforced by her culture that says you're a failure if you're barren, quote unquote, right? And Abraham, you know, we've talked about Abraham is, you know, he's doing well for himself. And God has made all of these promises for the future and for his descendants. And Sarah wants her son to be the heir of all of those promises. But now there's another heir. And so maybe now that she got what she wanted, she's trying to actually preserve her progeny's future. And banishing Ishmael the second time is maybe an attempt to eliminate the second heir. When Ishmael's the older son. Also, yes, which means he would actually have even more privileges. But that's that is a common theme in in the Bible. The overturn of of primogeniture is what we learned in rabbinical school, is what it's called. The younger surpassing the older. It happens in several <laughs> stories from Cain and Abel, Rachel and Leah, um, Jacob and Esau, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, the David and Goliath. <laughs> Well, and like, and that is always a metaphor of the fact that God has chosen the people of God out of a out of a nation that was the second, right? That wasn't the mightiest nation in that area where David was the last son, and God is always on the side of the oppressed. But you know, just like Sarah finally gets what she wants and then doesn't want to give that to anyone else, well, what does that sound like in our modern day? People who have just come to this country as immigrants who then want to close the door after them, right? Clarence Thomas, who benefited from affirmative action is pulling up the ladder after him, right? Is saying nobody else gets to go to school because of affirmative action. Um, It was just me. And now that I'm here, I'm taking it away from the rest of you. This ties into the text because the reason he hates affirmative action is because when he was at this phenomenal school, everybody kept saying, oh, you're here because of affirmative action. So people looked down on him all the time because they assumed that he was less than, that he wasn't as smart and he was just there because of his skin color, all right? And because some policy at the school. And he had wished, like, so that's why he wants to banish affirmative action because people looked down on him and people were racist and horrible to him. Um, So it's not just that he wants to keep people out. It's that he doesn't want people to experience the shame and the, right, that experience that he had. Right. So he's going to punish the wrong people. What it should be is tell the racists to, to stop being racist. Instead, it's the Band-Aid rather than, than the medicine. But I just think it's such a good tie-in with today's story because you have this lifting up of Abraham's dignity to say, you're not a foreigner. I'm not going to have that be your most salient identity. You are someone that we respect. And then Abraham says, yes, and I respect you. And they have this exchange Um, among equals, even though there is a power differential. That goes back to this metaphor, you know, that immigrants who have only been here, my family's only been here for a hundred years. I'm sure that my grandmother can trace us back to the Revolutionary War or whatever. Okay, we've been here 300 years, whatever, or 200 years. (laughs) Um, 
That's not that long. We are all immigrants who came to this country, unless you are an indigenous American, like we all came from somewhere else. And yet, who are the people who are, who want to block everyone else from coming in? People who look like me, who are not from this land, right? Who were immigrants themselves, who want to pull up the ladder after us. Just like <laughs> um, in the book of Joshua, that we'll see the people of Israel killing the outsiders, the Hittites, the Canaanites, and the others who are no longer welcome in this land where they were once welcome. This is scarcity mentality, I think, a part of it. And, you know, living in somewhere, you know, I live in New Mexico. Water is scarce. Crops are scarce. When there's a drought, people hold much more tightly to um, the people close to them and the people they can trust. Uh, And anyone who's threatening their family or their land or whatever right like when you're in a survival situation i don't know but in in our country now i think a lot of that's manufactured right most people's jobs are not at risk because of immigrants they're at risk because of automation and because of greedy capitalists or because we're not enforcing rules that say like so if we had work permits for example we would have to pay people who are undocumented who are currently undocumented, who are working in New Mexico. If you're an undocumented immigrant and you have a ton of experience doing construction, you can make $400 for working six days, 12-hour days. All right, $400 for that amount of time. Now, if we had work permits, those construction companies would have to pay those employees a living wage. Why are we blaming the immigrants, right? (laughs) They would love to work legally. They would love to be paid a living wage and have to compete with documented American citizens. But the reason that U.S. citizens can't compete is because the companies are abusing labor. And you're exactly right, the scarcity mentality, right, where the immigrant getting a living wage does not take money out of your pocket. like, um, and, And with the blessing that goes to Isaac, like... Isaac is blessed by having descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. Guess what blessing is also given to Ishmael? Almost exactly the same. <laughs> like God, God is not skimping out on blessings here. Like God has an abundance of blessings to give. Now, when when Isaac goes to give blessings to his descendants, because he's not God, he does have a limited number of blessings to give. But God has more than enough. And Sarah still wants to kick out this person who could be stealing the inheritance from Abraham. And like that is just so true of the world that we live in. If all of us were happy to live off of, you know, something as 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 quote unquote meager as a hundred thousand dollars. Let's say that the richest people in the world, they got to have a million dollars. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Let's say that the richest people in the world got to have a million dollars. We could live in a utopia. Right? We could live in, in a place that isn't destroying our earth. We could live in a place where everyone is fed. We could live in a place where we don't waste things that just are useless. If we didn't waste all of our time thinking that if you have enough to live, then that means that I'm not getting everything that I quote unquote deserve. Yeah. What if we started thinking of things as not Democrats yeah. versus Republicans, but the super rich versus everybody else, right? It's it's not the Hittite and the Philistines versus the people of Israel, 
It's people like David versus the shepherds. And, you know, the people who are trying to live their lives. He, the, well, and we find this in the Christian scriptures too. Mm -hmm. It's the people who are exploiting the poor that Jesus is most vocal against. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he doesn't call out the Samaritans and say, oh, they're the problem. He says, no, it's the super rich. They are the problem. And the people who are exploiting the poor, that is not of God. And, you know, we, we talk about this so often, but it this is a leftist Bible study podcast, so we're going to talk it often. The going through the eye of the needle is giving up all these burdens that you have to need to be rich, to need to have all this money, to need to have all these things that replace the fundamental lack of love that you feel. Wealth is not something that you need if we were just content with what we have. Like, I'm not saying that people can't have nice things, right? I am very much so a believer in bread and roses, right? We deserve to have enough to survive and to live a nice, fulfilling life. What I want to do with my life is travel, right? I want to go and see the beautiful things that God has created all throughout the world and the beautiful cultures that live there and the beautiful languages that they speak, all those And all of us deserve to do that. But when we compare the blessing that we have with the blessing of the people next to us. And instead of being grateful for what we have, like instead of Sarah being grateful for Isaac, saying, you can't have that, you're not allowed to have anything, right? That is where the problem comes. That's the Cain and Abel thing. We've, we've been doing this since the beginning. Is my sacrifice not good enough? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I do think that wealth becomes an addiction for some people. Um, And that's the problem. That's the way that the early church talks about it. If you have not already listened to our podcast, All Riches Come From Injustice, you should listen to that podcast and read that book. Um, But (laughs) Even the wealthy Abraham in our story today has to rely on the hospitality of strangers. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have. If you don't have a community that surrounds you, if you don't invest in people, you're going to end up like empty, right? And, and alone. I mean, I, I watch, um, there's somebody in the congregation who's just been through surgery and there hasn't been a day that people don't call on her and make sure she's okay and have enough food and all of this. I don't know how much money she has, but I know she has more than her weight in gold in terms of relationships. And that's because she's invested in caring for people her whole life. And now that she's sort of, you know, on the, on the later end of things, people are caring for her. I, I think that's, What's beautiful and what I see in this story, too, clearly these men have a relationship of respect and, you know, Abraham has contributed to the community in some way. Yeah, yeah, he's lived there for a long time. He still has this outsider status. It's like, you know, I imagine it's similar to somebody who immigrated to somewhere in the United States, but still like has a heavy accent. And like, so there's there's still a sense that people perceive them as outsider, even if they've lived in the United States for 50 years, even if they are a naturalized citizen, that like they will always, to some people, be seen as immigrant first or outsider first. And I, I think that there's something similar here with Abraham, that he's he's been in this community for some, some time now. He's made a name for himself. He's well-respected. And clearly, he has made contributions to the community that make people want to call on him in his in his moment of need. Like, I wonder how many people, like if Jeff Bezos had surgery, how many people would call him every day the week following? Only his employees that are worried about being fired. Probably. Right? And that's, that's also something I hear from super rich people when I see them interviewed, is that they have no idea who is an actual friend. Right. 
Right. Unless they're a friend from before they got rich, because everybody they assume wants something from them. And that sounds so lonely. Well, and like Abraham is a wealthy person, right? But it doesn't seem like he's as wealthy as he was when he was literally destroying the land underneath him, right? Um, With Lot. Um, It seems like he's not been going as hard, but he gives 400 shekels to this other person because if you're going to have any money, you should use it for other people, right? And you should use it to do the things that really matter. And ultimately, like, all of us, we can be, again, we can live comfortable lives, but if our comfort comes at the expense of others, then we need to stop and consider how those things can change so that we can take care of the people around us as well. Um, I, I love what you were saying, Rabbi Noyo, about the importance of community care. And what I was really hoping you were going to say is that so often the self-care that we are preached at to accept, right, is go spend money on this thing, go spend money on that thing. Yeah, there's self-care and then there's community care. And community care in many ways is probably more important than self-care. Well, both are important, but I thought you were going to say it's go take care of yourself and get therapy or have a day off so that you can be a better producer of goods. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought you thought. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the the thing that I thought you were going to finish up with is the fact that like so often, and I think this ties into so much of what we've talked about tonight, so often community care is self-care, right? So often taking care of the people around you, loving the people around you is investing in in loving yourself as well. You know, and, and that's why this command that comes, um, Jesus didn't think it up, right? This is a this is a command that um, is in Leviticus that the the Hillel, uh, the school of Hillel is um, elevated first and Jesus is stealing from them. Um, but, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself is not saying different things, right? Those aren't two separate commands. Those are those are the same command, right? Where loving God is loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is loving yourself. Loving yourself and your neighbor is loving God. And the the deep interconnectedness of those things can help us live long and fulfilling lives rather than lives that, like in this story of Sarah, cause grief, that cause grief, that cause death, right? We can choose to love each other, or we can choose the cycle of grief and death that that we just see permeates throughout so many of these stories. Do y'all have any any final thoughts before we close out? Um, I just I just have a, a fun a fun tidbit to highlight that maybe makes more sense at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm saying it at the end. Jews love to point out about this Torah portion, this section of, we call it Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah. And it starts with a sentence, Sarah lived to be 127 years old when she died. The name of the portion is the life of Sarah, and it begins with her death. And we just spent a bunch of time talking about her death, the circumstances, the impact, the aftermath. But really what we were talking about is ways that we can give life to ourselves and to others. Amen. I just feel, I feel, I don't love the word blessed, but I have, I don't. (laughs) You're not hashtag blessed? No, because it assumes other people are not. No, it's not my aesthetic. That's not your aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) It is almost fall. It's almost hashtag blessed season. I feel thankful. There are some ways in which I'm very much a stereotypical white girl. 
there are other ways where I just don't understand the culture. And that's one of them. I've never owned Ugg boots or had a pumpkin spice latte or, <laughs> or said hashtag bliss. But I do feel really thankful that we that I got to hang out with y'all today. I feel hashtag blessed every time I get to hang out with y'all too. <laughs> I The one thing, like the, the stereotype I play into 100% is that I'm not afraid of any wild animal if they are fuzzy. So... <laughs> Like, if there was a bear in the wild, I'd be like, oh, he's so cute. If not friend, why, why friend-shaped? Exactly. <laughs> in my head, all wild animals are tameable if I'm just, like, kind enough. And I heard somebody say that that comes from the fact that a lot of white women spend a lot of time with white men. And they are the most, like, fragile and scary. Oh. Yeah. And therefore... You just blew my mind a little. Yeah. Less scary than a bear. So if we can pacify, <laughs> no, but if we can remain safe and talk our way through being around an angry white man, then a bear's nothing. Well, and this conversation about the fragility of white men goes back to a conversation that Pastor Sarah and Rabbi Noyo were having before we started recording that was all about the fact that white men are the people who are most likely to come onto uh, TikTok and all the other places and harass them for being uh, women who are leading congregations um, and being badasses at it. Can I can I say that? Like, um, So go follow them at disorganized.religion on TikTok and follow uh, Rabbi Noyo at rabbi.noyo. Noyo, that is N-O-Y-O, Noyo, on all of the TikToks, and where else are y'all? I'm on Instagram now, also. <laughs> I am on Instagram, where I mostly repost things that I put on TikTok or Facebook. <laughs> Pastor Sarah, you need to join Tumblr. That's where you need to go, where you can find me at NB if you are so inclined. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi Noyo and Pastor Sarah, for coming and joining us on this wonderful conversation. It is, as always, a blessing to have y'all, um, not even in the hashtag blessed, but in the actual biblical sense of an uplifting word and uh, a praise that le- lifts the soul. So thank y'all so much for being here. We so appreciate you. And thank you, dear listener, for being just incredibly wonderful and random people coming into the Discord who are seeing the show from all sorts of places, on TikTok and on, on Instagram and all these places where I definitely don't post about <laughs> about the show that often. And that is all because of your wonderful generosity. Um, the folks who are leaving reviews, shout out to all the people leaving five-star reviews on Spotify and on and on um, Apple Podcasts. Y'all are just amazing. And this show only is able to get to more folks because of your work and the hard work of our patrons and our wonderful editors. A team that is just growing and growing in, uh, in number and in wonderful skill. So thank y'all so so much for everything you do for this show. And please share it with more people if you want it to continue to grow in this way. Um, I'm not saying that we're coming for Magnificast, but look out. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> now, past Micah, take it away. Thank you, future Micah. And of course, you, our wonderful listener. Together, we have made a wonderful and growing community on Discord that I look forward to being a part of every day. Your generous support on Patreon has already greatly increased the quality of our podcast, including this very outro. As an extra little thank you, you can get episodes early along with a bunch of other cool perks. Please follow the link in the show notes to join our Discord, Patreon, and all of the other things mentioned throughout this episode. If you would like to reach me directly, you can reach me through the Discord or by email at thewordinblackandred at gmail.com. Now, future Micah, say the profound shit. And thank you, past Micah. Now go, friends. 
And let us live a life that does not allow our blessings to become a distraction, that allow us to see others and hate them for having the same that we do. But instead, let us have enough and build a world where all will have enough. Shalom. Telling me you had to practice clapping? This little light of mine. <laughs>